picture that we have today, and I don't want us to miss this picture. Uh, I'm just grateful today. Oh my goodness, what a great day. And we, we, I want to point out the generational picture that's right in front of us today. Um, it's, to, to be led by college students, um, that's pretty cool. To see the next generation coming behind us that, is, that, that are writing songs about Christ and what God's doing in their lives. And um, we also have a really cool generational picture on the other side. Um, Earl and Ruthie Spicklemeyer over here, she told me not to say anything, but they just celebrated their 67th wedding anniversary. Okay. Earl, you are the man. Uh, (laughs) No, I'll tell you what. um, What a blessing today to get to see both sides of that spectrum, of of, a younger generation that that God used to to lead us today to the throne. The, The a more mature generation that has watched us how to stay faithful for a lifetime. Let's not miss that today. It's right, it's right in front of us. It's right in our church. You know, we've been, uh, the past several months, we've been focusing on the supremacy of Christ. And the, the idea that God is, that Christ is not just prominent, Christ is preeminent. And, when, and, and this makes sense to us because when you, when you look at this pluralistic society that we're in, uh, this smorgasbord of, of religious belief, if, if you will, um, you, you can't escape Christ. You can't escra- escape the preeminence of Christ. And this is something that I pray we as a, as a people in our generation that we understand, we communicate. And, and when you think about Jesus, he made incredible claims about himself. I mean, he claimed to be God. And, and, and those claims, like C.S. Lewis says, are so magnificent that it's worthy of investigation. If you're a thinking person, you ought to investigate these claims. But, but it wasn't just the claims that made Jesus distinct. Uh, it was his actions. I mean, when you think about what he did, I mean, people that saw him said, oh my goodness, you got to be from God. Um, they, they, people that rubbed shoulders with him while he was walking the earth, was, they were amazed at the miracles that he would do. But, but the most incredible thing that Jesus did... One of, I mean, it's got to be up there. Um, he, he conquered the grave. He rose from the dead. And, and, and so many times in Scripture, you see these resurrection encounters. And as we prepare for Easter, that's kind of what we're turning our face to over the next uh, few weeks up, up to the Easter, Easter Sunday. We're going to be looking in Scripture at these resurrection encounters these moments that people, humanity, encountered the resurrection. I don't know if you've encountered the resurrection. I hope so. I've encountered the resurrection, and it's changed my life. And in, in this series, I, I want to keep this in front of us, this, this memory verse, that challenge. And, and with every series, as we dig into the Word, I, I want to continually push us to memorize the Scripture. And the, and the verse I want, to, I want to challenge you to memorize is 1 Corinthians 15, 16 through 19. And I've, I'm going to put it on the screen to, today, but if you have your Bibles, turn to it, because I think it's helpful to look at it in your, in your scriptures, that 
And it's an interesting verse to memorize. It's not one that we would normally just put to memory, but it's an important verse to memorize. 1 Corinthians 15, 16 through 19 says, For if the dead are not raised, um, not even Christ has been raised. In verse uh, 15, if, if the de- or 16, if the dead haven't been raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. And you are, you are dead in your sins. If Christ didn't raise from the dead, Paul writes, that, that it's futile. It's, it's no, it doesn't matter. Nothing matters. Um, verse 18 says, Then also, those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Everybody that we know that have died, they've just perished, Paul says. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, then we are of all people to be most pitied. You need to memorize that. I want to challenge you to memorize that verse. Like we just saying, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Because, you know, the truth is Christ, he did raise from the dead. He's alive. And, and our hope is not just in this life. In fact, our focus shouldn't be just in this life. Now, um, we have hope that, uh, that allows us, I mean, think about our hope in Christ. It allows us to do great things while we're walking around this planet. But, but the reality is the focus of our life is heaven. And that's who we're supposed to be and what we're supposed to do. And, and, and when you think about what the, what the resurrection means, it means that, that death is not the end. It's only the door to eternal life. And when I think about uh, the greatest news of 2021 that, that people ought to understand and embrace is that the resurrection of Christ means that eternal life is real. It's real. And that when you draw your last breath, it's not over. That's what eternal life means. Now, I believe this is a message that we're called to share. The fact that, that Christ came to deliver us from our sins and, and, and rescue us from, from the, the trap that we're in and the, and the devastating situation that we are in. That's, that's, the, that's the message the world needs to understand. And Jesus started the church. And, and these disciples that Jesus was hanging with, he was like, you got to get this. And I think the disciples today are in the same boat. We've got to get this. Now, if you have your Bibles, we're in Mark chapter 10. So turn there, Mark chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 32. And, and let's, let's look at this resurrection encounter because it's a cool one. Uh, Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 32. Would you stand with me? If you're a guest today, we, we stand in honor of God's word because it's just a, you know, an, an, a way of saying by our body language, God, you've, you've got something to say to us. And let's just read verses 32, and we'll start, we'll read through verse 45, and it says this. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said, Teacher, We want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. 
And he said to them, well, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Jesus said to them, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or my left hand is not mine to grant, but it is for those whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them? But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And this is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, now because of the resurrection, we'll, we'll, we've, we'll never be the same. The world will never, will never be the same. And when I think about all the gifts of the resurrection in our lives, one of the things that, one of the greatest gifts that the resurrection gives to us is that it, it, it eliminates fear in us. And, and I want you, did you catch in that passage that those, were following, those who were following Jesus were afraid? Did you catch that? It's interesting. Look, um, look at this because, you know, when you look at verse 32, they were, they were following Jesus and they were afraid. Now, we can relate to this, can't we? I mean, like right now, fears are going crazy right now. People are fearful. People are fearful of, there's political fears, there's economic fears, there's, uh, you can't even turn on the TV without seeing the number of COVID deaths that happened today, right? Isn't that every time you turn on the TV, there's a ticker of the COVID deaths today? Fears are going crazy. People are paralyzed by fear. And, and let's think about it. If, if Jesus can conquer the grave, right? If, I mean, we, we, God is so powerful, he spoke and the world was created. Whatever problems you came in with, is there anything that he can't handle? No. No, I mean, I mean think of the... Of the these, these disciples, they were, uh, the, the resurrection, it wipes away fear. Look at verse 32. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, verse 32. And Jesus was walking ahead of them, and they were amazed. Of course they were amazed. They had watched Jesus do all these things. Mark's writing this account. We were amazed at Jesus. And then I think it's interesting, and those who followed were afraid. And and you, that, that's puzzling to me because they, they've watched Jesus to do these incredible things, but yet they were afraid. But, but I think, isn't that how we often are? We, we've watched the Lord work. We've watched the Lord come through time after time. But, but I get afraid. Um, there have been times in my life that God has moved that I saw, I've said, Lord, I should never doubt you ever again, ever because of that right there. I can point to you to, to moments in my life that why would I ever doubt you? 
But yet, I'm like, we're just like the disciples. We, we get afraid. But here's point number one today, that we see in this passage from Christ that the resurrection of Christ eliminates fear. And think about it right here. Jesus is boldly and he's bravely on his way to Calvary. Think of the weight of that moment. Think of the weight that had to be on Jesus' heart as he's walking to Jerusalem. And, and it's, it, if anybody had a justification for fear or an excuse to be afraid, it's Jesus right here. But, because uh, what was he doing? He was not only confronting the reality of physically going to the cross. Let's think about this. I, I think what made Jesus sweat drops of blood in the garden was the spiritual pressure that he was facing. Because here is holy God becoming sin. Now that's, that to me has got to be one of the greatest miracles in, discussed in all the Bible. How holy God could become sin. But Jesus, what does he do? He joyfully walked that road. He joyfully went to the cross and with intensity and intentionality, Jesus heads to the cross and, and he's going to finish it up with the resurrection. Look at the middle of verse 32. It's an interesting Verse, because they're afraid, Jesus knows it, and so what does he do? In taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, see, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. And then I can just say, I, I just see Jesus going, but after, after three days, he will rise. Now, Jesus just flat out pulled them aside and told them in plain English, or maybe plain Greek, I guess, right? Um, plain Greek, that he just laid it out. This is what's going to happen. And, and here's, what, here's what's interesting to me, that as the disciples saw that play out, they were surprised by it. They didn't believe it. And you'll see over and over again, if you read the, the, the narrative of the disciples, they doubted. Thomas doubted. Thomas was here when Jesus told them, and they doubted what was taking place right in front of their eyes. And, and rather than accepting the plan of the cross and the resurrection, they seemed confused by it, didn't they? It's interesting. But, but you know what Jesus was doing right here? Jesus was preparing them for the future. And do you know what I know about God? Do you realize that God, aren't you grateful that God prepares us for the future? God does that. God prepares us for the future. And let's think about the experiences that we've had in the past. It prepares us for the the challenge, the ups and downs that we face today. So when I think about the COVID craziness and the crisis that we are in the middle of, look, God has prepared us for this moment regardless of what you're facing in your life. That's why I love that song that Eric wrote. Oh my goodness, that's a good song. Because we've learned to trust in Jesus because how he's moved in the past. Now here's what we know right now. The, 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 when God comes through for us right now in our lives, guess what? That's preparing us for what we will face tomorrow and, and ahead. God is faithful to prepare us for the future. And Jesus was preparing his disciples for the future by telling them the truth. Uh, You know, uh, but the problem was the disciples were not in this place to hear it. 
that they, and, and sometimes God, we're not in the place to hear God. And one of the things I pray for us today, that we get in the right place to hear from the Lord. Let's not give that stiff arm to God. Let's, let's receive the word from the Lord. And, 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 you know, when you, like, flip over to Mark 8. Because you know, I want you to know that in Mark chapter 10, this is the third time that Jesus told them what he was going to do on the cross. That he was going to die and rise from the dead. This is the third time in Mark. And, and in Mark chapter 8, if you look at verse 31, um, it, he, Jesus was teaching that the Son of Man's going to suffer many things, he says. And he was going to be rejected by the elders and the chief priests, and he was going to die. And, and he was going to, three days, he was going to rise. Jesus told him that in Mark 8. And in Mark 8, 32, the, the Mark says, and he said this plainly. I mean, Jesus said plainly in plain Greek, where they got it. And you know what Peter did? It says in verse 32, Peter took Jesus aside and rebuked him. I mean, can you imagine that? Rebuking Jesus? What was he thinking? Look what Jesus said to him in verse 33. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. That's that moment he says, hey, Satan, get behind me. That's a, I mean, that, that put Peter in his place. Because Peter was like, I don't, I don't want to be equated with Satan. And he says, for your, and look what he says, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. You know, the problem with the disciples is they kept putting their mind on earthly things. And that's a lesson for us today. Let's, let's not live the rest, let's not live our lives with our mindset on earthly things. You know, isn't that easy for us to do, right? It's easy for us to be distracted by power, money, success, by, by our problems, get so focused on our problems, we, we just get in a hole that we can't see up. Um, we, we look at our problems from our seat rather than climbing up in the, in the seat of our Savior and say, Lord, let me look at these problems from your, from your lap. And, and today, I would challenge you, when you get stuck in your problems, climb up in Christ's lap. Look at them from his perspective. We get distracted by comfort, by, by competition with our neighbors, keeping up with the Joneses. I mean, we get sucked in by advertising. You name it. There's all kinds of ways that distract us. But here's what I want us to see today, that keeping our mind on the things of God is critical for us. It's critical for us. Is your mind on the things of God? That's where the disciples were not. They were on um, their own life. And I, I would say that, you know, most of the difficulties come in our lives when we're not having our mind on the things of God. Just think about your life. Think about the times that, that, that you've been cratering, because we all crater at times. And isn't that when our mind is on our our earthly things. But, but here's what we get to do, and I don't want us to miss this. You see this over and over again in Scripture. We get to turn to the Lord. Do you know that it never bugs the Lord when you turn to Him? Ever. It never bugs the Lord when you come to Him and say, Lord, I, I bring my, I, I, please forgive me. That never bothers the Lord. And so often, we, when we mess up, we think, oh, well, I don't want to go to the Lord again. No, what does he say? Come to me, confess your sins. He is faithful and just and will, con 
uh, forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness, 1 John 1, 9 says. But, and, and, and I want you to not miss the blessing you get to turn to the Lord. Isn't that amazing that we can do that? Um, I did just a few minutes ago. Because there's a guy I've been mad at. And I'm sitting there right, I'll be honest, I, mean, I, I probably confess too much, I'm sorry, but I'm not perfect. But I, I was sitting here, and as I'm getting up to preach, I'm just, I'm thinking about this, these two guys I'm mad at. And I was like, Lord, you've really forgiven me a lot, forgive me. And I'm going to, um, I haven't even talked to him in two, three years. And because and I've been kind of holding a grudge. And I was like, so I'm, uh, I got I to gotta fix that. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to fix that. But, but you know, the reality is we get to turn to the Lord. We get to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit, don't we? We get to do this as believers. We get to, we get to encounter this relationship with God. That's what the disciples had. It was right in front of them. It was this relationship with God, and we get to do this. Now, what's interesting is this was, a, this was the third time Jesus said this. And, and, and it's interesting as you think about chapter 8, um, when, when Jesus talks about the resurrection, Peter responds by arguing with Jesus. In chapter 9, that was the second time that Jesus announced his death, crucifixion, and resurrection. And, 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 and those, that's when the disciples get in an argument about who's the greatest, right? And then right here in chapter 10, James and John, what do they do? Uh, Mark's nice about this account, Okay, Mark must have been closer to James and John. The Sons of Thunder, that's who they were. I love those guys. John's my favorite disciple. Um, but they, they were known as the Sons of Thunder. Matthew got a little more detail in Matthew 20. Matthew really tells the story because he says, yeah, really it was their mama that came to Jesus. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's the embarrassing, right? They sent their mom. You know, moms don't ever go to dugouts. You know, if you, you know, rub dirt on it, don't, you know, don't rub it. You know, don't rub dirt on it uh, when you get hit with a baseball. That's a baseball thing. Um, but they sent their mom. And it's almost shameful to hear how James and John responded to Jesus announcing his resurrection. Look what he said. Look at verse 35. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And he said to them, What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do for you? And I don't think Jesus was annoyed here. I think he knew what was coming. He's God. But I think he loves them. He loves us when we come to him. And they said to him, grant us to sit at the right hand and one at your left in your glory. Now, and I just think about the frustration that Jesus had to have felt in that moment. Like, what? Fellas, what? Uh, um, he just told them this really important truth. And what did James and John do? They were... They're selfish, right? They come to Jesus, and they're like little brats. And it's interesting. Jesus said to them, verse 38, 
you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism which I'm baptized? Now, I like these guys. I like James and John, the sons of thunder. They're they're my kind of guys. I I see them spouting off their mouth. I see them being quick to, uh, hey, if you want to fight, let's fight, you know, or, you know, they're not afraid. I like these guys. Um, But look, they said to him, verse 39, we are able. We're able. Hey, bring it on. I love that about them. I want to be like that. I want to be like James and John. Okay, bring it on. Um, I want to be like John in some ways. Not in a selfish moment here. This is not his great, greatest moment. But think about John. He never left. He never left Jesus when all the other disciples ran. And Jesus says, hey, he's preparing them for the future right here. The cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or my left is not for me to grant, but it's for those who have been prepared. Now, now before we get in their grill too much more, um, let's remember our tendency to pray selfishly, right? Don't we have that tendency to pray selfishly? And we gotta, we, we got to pay attention to our prayers, This is something I pray we learn to do. I want to be a church that learns to pray. This is a weakness of our church and one that we need to fix. We need to grow in. We need to grow in our ability to pray. We can can gather and give out food like nobody's business. We can gather and build something like nobody can. We can gather and uh, meet a need, I mean, instantaneously. It's not a problem for us. But we got to grow in our, in our ability to pray. Because James 4, 1 through 3, look at this. I want you to look at this verse. They may have have it up for us. But James 4 says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you, that you desire and do not have, so you murder, you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel? You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You know, God doesn't always answer um, selfish prayers. But it's interesting, they, you know, James and John here, they didn't realize that this prayer had a cost. And what Christ is doing here, I think he's teaching them to pray in the will of God. And that's, a, that's, a, that's something we've got to learn to do, pray in the will of God. You know, uh, I, I, I mentioned something subtle, and I want you to catch it. I didn't say God, does, God doesn't always answer selfish prayers, but he does sometimes. You know, it's interesting, as you think about God's, I, I was reading, you see my daily, my, my one-year Bible, I'm going through the one-year Bible, and I read this in Numbers, and and Psalm 106.15 recounts this where it says he gave them, 106.15, he says he gave them what they asked but sent a wasting disease among them. That was when the, disciples, the children of Israel were complaining. Sometimes God gives us what we want. Garth was kind of right, right? Garth Brooks was kind of right. 
No, I'm not saying that I got friends in low places. I'm not talking he's right there. Even though we can look around and go, yeah, we, we, he might be right there too. But, um, but <clears throat> he was right. Sometimes I thank God for those unanswered prayers. Because I've caught myself, in all honesty, listening to my prayers. And sometimes I've prayed selfishly. And... And we need to stop and consider what we are asking the Lord. That's an important question for us today. It's an important application of this this text. And, and, you know, they didn't understand the, the cross. They didn't understand that their sin was a big deal. And here's the reality. We don't like to admit the travesty of sin. We like to go, it's not that big a deal. It's okay. But, but, but we've got to learn to hate sin. We've got to learn to pray correctly. Can I just say to you, this is why, uh, you know, on Wednesday night, if you, if you want to learn to pray, Wednesday nights from 6.30 to 7.30, we are praying. And you ought to come. We have about eight people, eight or nine people that come consistently. I think we need more people coming to learn to pray, to be honest. Um, you know, it's interesting as you think about the disciples. What are they doing here? They're, they're following the wrong example. James and John are going, they're looking at the example of the Roman uh, and, the, and the, the leaders saying, we want to rule like that. We want to rule like them. And, and it's interesting, all of us, and, and you've got to commend these guys because because really, I, I think in their heart, James and John wanted to make a difference for the kingdom. And I would say all of us that know Christ as our Savior, we, we have uh, we've gotten a, a taste of what it's like to be used by the Lord. It's like the ambassador baseball team that we started. Every summer, we, we end that summer and I tell these guys, it's my goal to ruin you. I want to ruin you this summer because I want to give you a taste of following Christ and trusting the Lord through this gift you have in baseball. And, and you know what? Whenever you get away from that, you don't, it's not as good because it's incredible being in the middle of God's will and being used by the Lord for kingdom work. That's incredible. And I don't want you to miss the joy and the excitement and the, and the thrill of being used by the Lord to impact the kingdom of God. So many people miss that. And I don't want you to miss that. But here's what the resurrection, here's an application of this text. The resurrection calls us, point number two, if you're taking notes, the resurrection calls us to a selfless responsibility. A selfless responsibility, not a selfish responsibility. And when I look at the disciples here, they missed the significance of the cross. They completely missed it. And they were looking at themselves here. They got, they got self-focused. And, and, you know, Jesus said in the Matthew account in verses 26 and 27 in Matthew 20, it says, Jesus is getting on to him. He goes, guys, you've got to understand what, what, what my, resur- my, my death and my resurrection is going to do. It's going to, it's going to move you to make an impact, a big impact. But you've got to understand how to have a big impact. He says, it shall not be so among you, this selfishness, but whoever would be great among you, 
must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. See, James and John were looking to the Gentile leaders and, and, the, and the Roman leaders as, as that's who we want to be like. And Jesus is going, no, no, fellas, look to me. Look at me. If you want to know how to make a big impact, look at Jesus. Look to Jesus. This is why I pray we are a church that looks to Jesus every day. And, and, and Jesus is the example we look to. And that's why point three is so critical for us. A genuine resurrection encounter moves us to the right kind of greatness. Let me tell you, I want to have a great church here. I want to I see our church make a great impact in, in Tulsa and beyond. And oh my goodness, yesterday morning, Misael and I were, were with a group of Hispanic pastors. And, and you know what? Um, I think I was the first ever um, senior pastor that was white that showed up at a meeting like this. They were like, oh my goodness, I'm so glad you came. You know, you know what I learned? That there are 300,000 Spanish-speaking people in Oklahoma. And do you know that if you add the number of that are attending churches, our Baptist churches today in Oklahoma, it's under 1,000? We, we got some work to do. And I'll tell you, I want to make a great impact. But, but when I look at this, it's the right kind of impact. Look at verse Mark 10, 41. And notice what's going on here. When, when the 10 heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. That means they were ticked. They were mad. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, Jesus is going, guys, stop looking at these earthly leaders. And he says, verse 43, similar to Matthew 20, but it shall not be so among you. It's not going it's not, it's not to be this way among you, fellas. I, I think Jesus is looking at our church. Look, let's look to Jesus for our example, for our, our goal. And he says, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even, look at this, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. You know, it's interesting as you look at the, this led to disunity among the disciples. And let me tell you, this was a big moment this was a critical moment that, that Jesus knew what was ahead. He knew, hey, boys, we are getting ready to face the toughest trial of our lives. Now, I don't know what's ahead for us as a church. When I look at the cultural landscape, it appears from my seat that we are in for some of the greatest trials of our lives, right? But does that worry us? No. 
because we've already learned, God, you can be trusted. And we have to watch out because here's what Satan's going to do for us. He's going to get us to fight one another. Boy, I see it right now among Christians, among, I mean, I talked to a, a, a leader in Oklahoma yesterday that is in a massive conflict. And uh, he said, Chris, I, I just got an email from a brother that the, the dude dropped the F-bomb like nine times in the email. And, and it's like, wow, you know, we, we, we got to watch the fighting with one another, right? We got to be careful with that. And here's what we need to do. As we want to have a great impact, as we want to be used by the Lord in this city, well, let's work to outserve one another, right? Let's outserve one another. Let's be a church that serves one another. Let's be a body that serves one another. Let's be a body that serves a community even when we don't agree with them. I, I, I'll tell you what, we got work to do in learning how to love somebody that doesn't think like us or look like us or act like us. That's hard for us. But we've got to work on this. We've got to do this. This is our call as a follower of Christ to serve people. We also, and when I look at this passage, we need to settle conflicts quickly and completely. This is what Jesus is doing. He's coming to the guy, bringing them together, going, hey, let's settle this, fellas. We've got to settle this quickly. We've got to settle this completely. You know, here's another application for this today. We pray selflessly rather than selfishly. Let's learn to pray selflessly. Let's, let's pay attention to what's coming out of our mouths. And um, look at verse 38. This has struck me. This struck me. And I kept coming back to this. And I want to just end right here. It's interesting. Jesus said to them, to James and John, he says, you don't know, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized. And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism which I am baptized, you will be baptized. Now this seems negative, right? But I guarantee you, when we get to heaven and talk to James and John, and we're like, dude, the cup. Do you regret drinking the cup that Jesus had for you? They look at us and go, are you kidding me? That was amazing. Now, we know from the scriptures that, that Jesus compares drinking of the cup to, to the difficult experiences. We know that Acts 12 says that James was, was the first of the disciples to be martyred. That was James's lot. That was his cup. He was martyred for his faith probably a tough day. But when he said, man, I don't regret it. John faced, I mean, we, we say, oh, he was on the island of Patmos. That wasn't like drinking fruity drinks with his feet up, getting a tan. That was prison. But what did he do? He wrote the Revelation, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. My goodness what he got to experience. Would you say, and we would say to John, hey, do you regret the cup? No. 
You kidding me? Here, here's, what, here's what I keep coming to right here. God has given you and I a cup. And let me tell you something. You want to drink that cup. Um, this week was Justin Sullivan's birthday. Every year. Justin Sullivan is the young man who died that, helped, that moved me to start the ambassador baseball ministry. I, I just can't assume everybody knows it. But I talk about it probably too much. But, but I, I sent flowers to Justin's family this week, Justin's mom. And his dad passed away several, uh, about two years ago of cancer. And um, at his funeral, at the graveside, I said something. And afterwards, Robin said to me, man, that was really hard. That was hard to, hard to hear. But, but I think it's true. Because I said, you know, here we are in a tough moment, and David has now seen, David Sullivan has now seen the full picture of his son going to heaven at 18, right before he was drafted by the White Sox. And, and I guarantee you now that David has seen the full picture, God's plan is so amazing so amazing that he would say, you know, Lord, if I had the chance to do it all over again, I'd do it all over again. Here's what I want you to know. The cup that God has for you is so amazing. And if you'll follow him, if you'll trust him. Eric, I'm going to throw a curveball on you. I don't know if what song you're planning on singing, but I want you to do the one you wrote. Could you? Um, we need to sing this. We need to learn this song that Eric wrote about trusting the Lord even when we can't see it. You can trust him. Follow him. Don't miss the cup. Don't miss your cup. If you don't know Jesus today, oh man, how can you go another day without knowing forgiveness? Come to him right now. Um, you know, sometimes we stand in invitation. I think when you're ready to stand and sing, I don't know if you need this song sung over you, to sit there and just let Eric sing this song over you? Or if you need to stand and sing it with him, we just learned it today. But this is how we need to end today. Our altars are going to be open. I'm going to be down front. If you need to pray, if you need to get with somebody, there's people out in the foyer that would help you, that would talk to you. Don't miss your cup. Lord Jesus, move us now. We pray in your name. Amen.